Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 12th of January 2014, entitled Effective Christianity Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Alright, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 and 14. He says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, which ye like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time that we can be together for each one, a Lord, that is here today. And now we recognize, Lord, as we look into your word, that, Lord, our only hope this morning is that through the power of your Spirit that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us that, Lord, we do not need man's learning and man's ideas. But, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We know, Lord, without any shadow of a doubt that you know every heart that is here today. You know the need of each and every one. And we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, by your might, by your power, and all for your glory, uh, that you would do the work that needs doing, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, last week, on the first Sunday of the new year, uh, really Sunday morning and Sunday evening, if you weren't here, we, we talked about a Christian's encouragement. We talked about the fact that there will be, if it's not there already, uh, there will be plenty of things that you can and uh, will probably be discouraged for over the coming year. But we looked into God's Word at how the Christian can be encouraged in Christ. And uh, we trust and pray that those, uh, uh, those thoughts will help you because uh, we said then that we often say, Happy New Year, but it's just words. And that in reality that God does want you to have a Happy New Year. And I want you to have a happy new year. And, uh, and we looked at a few uh, simple things there that would uh, hopefully help that to be a reality uh, and not just some term uh, in your life. Well, today I'd like us to move on to that and talk about not the encouragement, but the effectiveness of a Christian's life. Uh, you see, the truth is, is that uh, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, then you're on your way to heaven. Praise God. Uh, that's something to be happy about. That's something to shout about. And uh, nothing can change that because that's by God's grace. But uh, what about the life while we're still here on earth? Uh, how effective will our Christian lives be in this coming year or until the Lord returns? Uh, as we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, of course, Paul has covered many things in this first letter that he wrote to this church at, uh, at Corinth. And here he's coming to the close of this letter. And of course, after dealing with so many problems, and a lot of them were very uh, serious problems with, uh, uh, with doctrinal error within the church, so many things that he's had to, to, uh, to deal with there. Suddenly in chapter 15, he lifts them to the very peaks of the peaks, if you would, uh, with that focus upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for us, and particularly on the resurrection and, of course, the victory that uh, 
is ours. That victory over death uh, because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has accomplished for us through that glorious gospel. Now in chapter 16, this closing chapter, he covers a few quick things. He uh, is wrapping it up here as he does this. He reminds them of the uh, uh, the collection for the saints that's to be given on the Lord's day. Uh, he reminds them of what is going to be done with those collections. Uh, he mentions to them his plans uh, as he plans to come to them and and possibly even winter with them to spend the winter months with them before that uh, uh, he carries on to uh, Ephesus where that uh, he says the Lord has opened this wonderful uh, open door before him, this door of opportunity. And, of course, as we begin to look here, this chapter, of course, these are his concluding words. Uh, this is the uh, the conclusion, the place that he has to kind of bring all this together. He's, he's, he's covered so many things in these first 15 chapters. Just what does he want these people, these Christians, this church to do with all of that? He's given them all this information. How does he want to bring it all together? He hasn't given them all of this teaching throughout this letter he hasn't given it to them just so that they can have a better head knowledge and show people how clever that they are and how smart that they are. We know from time and again the things that he's spoken to the church that he wants them to be effective. He wants these Christians individually to be effective, and he wants this church to be an effective church for the Lord. They've been doing a lot of things wrong. I mean, getting a lot of it wrong. But through the apostles' great love for them, he has patiently tried to teach them and correct them on all of these things. And so now as he comes in, what, what does he leave them with? Well, I think that we find here in verse 13 and 14, if you would, we find five very clear directives. This is his closing instructions. We can call them directives because they are in what is known as the imperative mood, meaning that it is imperative that they do these things. These are not just merely suggestions or good ideas. These things are imperative to these Christians in this church there at Corinth. Now, the thing is, is that most of us are familiar with directives in some shape or form, um, you know, most of the time, I guess, within the home, that uh, parents have certain guidelines that they lay down, certain rules, and children are given directives, instruction, orders sometimes, if you would. Children go to school. They've got teachers and they've got headmistresses. They've got all these people that are there to, to instruct them, but as they're there, they're given certain directives. There's certain things they can do, certain things they can't do. They have to do this. They have to do that. They might have certain uniforms they've got to wear and all of these things in jobs. You know, many times if you work in a particular job, your boss, your company, whoever it is, they will give you certain directives. This is the way you have to do your job. You may have some leadway within there, but you've got certain directives that you have to stay within. Certainly, I guess that uh, one of my greatest experiences in that was uh, 
uh, when I got to pay Uncle Sam a visit and, uh, and go into the military. And, uh, and, of course, the military has so many directives, they lose track of them themselves a lot of times, I think. Uh, they've got plenty of rules to follow. And some of them are very good and some of them are very silly. Uh, but that silliness is there for a reason. It's because you will follow orders, whether you understand it or whether you don't. Sometimes you're given some of those silly directives just to teach you that you follow orders. Doesn't matter whether you think it needs to be done or whether you don't, whether you think there's an easier way to do it or whether there isn't. The simple truth is, is that you're given directives and you're to follow those or your job isn't being done and you'll pay the consequences of that. So we all face directives in different ways. And here, as the Apostle Paul brings this letter to a close, he's got some directives. Directives, if orders, if you would, from the commander-in-chief, God himself, because that's who, through the Holy Spirit, is giving us his word that we still have before us here today. Now, I would simply say that if we're going to be effective Christians, there's a difference in just being a Christian and being an effective Christian. If we're going to be effective Christians, then we have got to follow his directives. We can't make up the Christian life as we go along. We can't base it upon what we feel like or what we think. We can't do that in this life and all these areas I've talked. We certainly can't do it in the Christian life. So we find that if we just decide to do our own thing and do it our own way, then in the first place, we're going to be being disobedient to God but we're going to be ineffective in our Christian walk. If we aren't doing it his way, then we aren't doing what matters. No matter what we're doing, we can be so busy. We can have so many things and so many good things that we're doing. But I'm simply saying, if we're not doing it God's way, it doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how sincere we are if it's not what God wants. Well, that same thing is true of our church as well. And we can just be a church or we can be an effective church. The church is only as effective as the Christians that make it up. You see, if the Christians aren't effective, then there's nothing magical about this building that we meet in that's going to make it effective. So how can... How can we in this new year? You see, I'm going to love you and God's going to love you just because of who you are. Whether you do anything right or whether you're doing it wrong, God's still going to love you. You can't make God love you any less. But all I'm simply asking is in this year ahead, do you want to be involved in that which is effective for the Lord? Do you want to be an effective Christian? Are we going to be an effective church? How can we be more than just Christians that are on our way to heaven that maybe have a lot to rejoice about? How can we be truly effective in what the Lord wants of us? Well, I want to give you a couple of things. These directives that he gives us, short verses, 
But I want to give you a couple of things this morning and this evening that I just hope will help you. If you've got a desire to truly be effective in your Christian walk, then I hope that these directives, not because I've sat down and thought this out and planned this out and said, well, if you're going to really be an effective Christian, this is what you've got to do. No, because the Word of God says these are the things. After all the teaching that this church has had, after all the great things that, that's happened there, this is what we're left with. This is the way it's wrapped up. This is what we do with what God has blessed us with. What is the first thing that he says there, that first directive? He says, watch ye. The first directive that we have is Christians this is for the child of God. This is for those that are saved, that are born again. The first directive that we have is watch ye, to be alert. The word watch, it literally means like to, to waken somebody, to, to rouse somebody because maybe, uh, maybe they're slumbering. Maybe they're just kind of dozing off. They're still who they are, but they're not alert. Be awake. Be alert. Well, what does the Christian need to be alert for? Well, we could give you all the kind of things, but I want to give you just a, a couple this morning. And the first one is something very exciting to be alert about, and that's the coming of the Lord. I really believe, you know, if we really, in our Christian life, if we're genuinely alert and watching and waiting and expecting our Lord to come back, it will change our lives completely inside out. We know that he's coming. We know those facts. They're, they're, they're there, and we've got all these things figured out as to how it's going to take place. But I'm saying, what difference does it make in your life, not just when you know something is going to happen, when you expect it to happen any moment. You see, Matthew chapter 24. Again, Jesus Christ here is talking to them about the future, the prophecy, and what it's going to be like. And, and he tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 42, there's that word again. He says, watch therefore. Why? For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. Be alert because you don't know what hour that he's going to return for you. In the very next chapter, in chapter 25, he says again in verse 13, Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. I'm saying to you today simply, it will change your life. And I want to promise you, whatever effectiveness that you may have in your Christian life, it will never be as effective if you're truly alert, if you're truly expecting His coming at any time, if you're watching for it, if you're looking for it because it could happen any hour, any day, He's coming. We find that it'll change. It'll change how we treat the people around us. It'll change the things that we do. It'll change the things that are important to us today, the things that we need to get done, the things that we will get done if we truly knew, if we truly believed, if we truly expected. Wow. It 
could happen today. I mean, if you knew that that trumpet was going to sound at the stroke of 12 on that clock, which is one minute away, what would you want to do with the last minute before the Lord came back? Watch. Be alert. It'll change your life. It'll change your effectiveness as a Christian. It will change the effectiveness of us as a church. Watch for the coming of the Lord. Secondly, the Bible teaches very much, and this is certainly something that Paul has had to deal with to great extent with this church at Corinth. Watch the coming of the Lord, but watch for carnality, for carnality. There was a lot of carnality within this church. We find that, first of all, we have to watch for carnality in the world. You know, the world is carnal. It's not spiritual. And it's, it's going to have a whole different outlook and, and different things are going to be important. Notice what the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We've looked at these verses on a number of occasions. Verses 15 to 17 very simply says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, the world's pull can be so real. That lust, those, those, those desires, and we've got to realize that the world's desires are not going to be the same as ours. We looked last week at the importance of, of thinking the same way about some things. As believers, our thinking should be very different on a number of things than, than the world's. We find that you notice something in Colossians chapter 4 in your Bibles. And, of course, we know that, again, this was the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossa, one of his prison letters. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, notice he says here, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Well, Luke and Demas were there with the Apostle Paul. They were co-laborers. They were co-workers with the Apostle Paul. And so as he's writing this church to the other, or this letter to, the, to this church, he sends his greetings from those that are with him. But look just a little further when Paul's writing another letter a bit later to young Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, again, chapter 4, but notice what it says in verse 10. For Demas, there was his co-worker, working alongside the Apostle Paul, for Demas hath forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken me. And then notice what he says next, having loved this present world. <laughs> you see, here's one that a Christian working right alongside the Apostle Paul himself, one that was a co-laborer, a co-worker with him, one that Paul was sending his greetings to the churches from, and yet, when he's later writing to young Timothy, he said, Demas has forsaken me. And he tells him exactly why. 
having loved this present world. You see what John was saying? You know, you, you, you can't love the world and say that the love of the Father is, is within you. What am I saying? If we're going to be effective Christians, we've got to be alert. We've got to watch for same. We've got to be on alert, first of all, for the coming of our Lord. Second, for the carnality in the world because it's there, and it's there to tempt us, and it can pull anyone down if given the opportunity. But the thing is, is as we've seen some time back, usually our greatest enemy is not <laughs> out there in the world, but right here within. We need to be alert, not only for the carnality in the world around us, but the carnality in the flesh. In Romans chapter 7, he says in verse 18, Paul said, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I know there's nothing good in my flesh. Yes, I have a desire to do what's good, but, man, how to get that done I'm struggling with. He says, for the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Well, if we ever get to the point that we underestimate our flesh, the sinfulness of our flesh, we get in big, big trouble. Again, I remind you, the Apostle Paul was certainly an effective minister of God. And here he's trying to help this church to be effective. But Paul says, man, I have a battle on my hands sometimes. I know what I should do. Sometimes I don't do it. I know there's things I shouldn't do, and yet sometimes I do them anyway. He says, you know, there's a, I love the law of God. It's good, but there's this other law, this, this thing in my members, in my flesh. It's always there and it's always trying to pull me down. We've got to realize that is reality in our sinful flesh. If we underestimate that, we'll never be effective for the Lord. We have got to be alert. First of all, for the, for the glorious coming of our Lord back for us, but we need to be alert for the carnality that's around us that will destroy us, that will put us down, that's going to continually tempt us, that's going to do everything it possibly can to keep us from being effective. And yes, that's in the world around us, and yes, that's in our sinful flesh. We've got to realize that. Be alert. Watch. 
Be alert for the coming of the Lord for carnality. We need to be alert, the Bible says, for the cunningness of the devil. Oh, he's cunning. He is so sneaky. He is so good at what he does. He's had plenty of practice. He's had a lot of success. First Peter chapter 5, I'm sure a familiar passage to all of you here this morning. First Peter chapter 5, he says, beginning in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Yes, as Joseph found out, his brothers meant it for bad. They meant it for harm, but God used it for good. We have a cunning enemy. The Bible says he's just out there walking them out, just seeing who can I get now? Who can I destroy now? He's there, and he wants you. But praise God. You know, the thing you just need to do, you need to be alert. You don't have to be afraid of him. You have nothing to fear with this guy unless you give in to him. You've got everything in your arsenal that you need to fight him. The Bible says the victory is ours. But you need to be alert. I mean, he'll sneak in on you in ways that you can't even imagine, and that's what he's going to do if you give him the opportunity. And you just pretend, all oh, that's that's not really, whether it's the sin in your own flesh, the sin out there in the world that you're messing around with, whether it's the devil that's coming along to destroy you, if you just just underestimate it, just think that that's not important, that it's not going to get you, then be aware. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what he says beginning in verse 13. He got through teaching about some of the false. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers. Notice what he says next, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They're not real. They're false apostles. They're deceitful in the things that they're doing, but yet, he says, they're making themselves look like one of Christ, one of his apostles. And, of course, he says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Well, it shouldn't surprise us that men get out there and though they're false prophets, though they're deceitful in everything that they're doing, oh, they make themselves look so wonderful and they just look like that there's some great Christian that's doing God's work. He said, don't let it surprise you. You know, they're working for the devil and he himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He doesn't come to you in all of his ugliness. <laughs> he doesn't come to you letting you see what he's got up his sleeve and what he's wanting to do. He comes as an angel of light. He comes there to deceive you. 
He's very cunning in what he is, is doing. Verse 15 says, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the members of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Oh, yes, they can be very deceptive in this life, in this world. But their end is coming, and it's scheduled for them, and it will be that. Do you want to be an effective Christian? You see, God loves you. And if you're his child, you're going to heaven, and one day all this is going to be behind you. But you're here living and breathing today. What about the time you've got left? Do you want your Christian life to amount to something? Do you want it to amount to what God wants it to be? Do you want it to be effective, or do you just want to spend your time and one day go on to heaven and forget about it all? You see, to be an effective Christian, you can't be sleeping. You can't go trusting your flesh. You can't go trusting the sinfulness of this world. You can't trust Satan and all that are his representatives. You can't trust it. Be alert. Look for the Lord. Expect him to come at any time. Watch. But not only must you be alert, he gives you a second directive here. He not only says to watch ye, but notice he says next, stand fast in the faith. These are imperatives. First of all, watch. Be alert. Second, be anchored. Be anchored. Stand fast in the faith. That simple term there, stand fast, means to stake something firmly to where it can't be moved. To stand firm. It means to persevere, to persist, to keep one standing where it's at, no matter what comes against it. Stand fast in the faith. The same word in Jude verse 3 from our series of contending for the faith. The faith, the Christian faith as a whole, all of God's teachings, everything that he is, yes, it begins with trusting him for salvation and believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but then that's just the beginning of our Christian faith. Believing all that God says. Trusting him in everything of our lives. He said you need to be anchored. You need to be alert to what's going on around you. But as you're watching, you need to be anchored. You need to be firmly staked in the faith, the Christian faith, the truth of God's word. You've got to persevere and persist and keep your standing. You see... We find that just a few verses before, at the close of chapter 15, he makes a very similar comment there in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, the life that you live in, be steadfast, unmovable. Be anchored. 
Stand fast in the faith. We need to be anchored in the truths of God's word. There's so much. The Bible talks about them being knocked about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. How do you know the truth? You won't if you don't get in God's word. You won't know if I'm telling you the truth. You won't know if anybody's telling you the truth. If you're just going to believe what man says, but you need to stand firm. You need to be anchored in God's word, in God's truth, in the faith, in the Christian faith. See, John, in writing to the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible, and of course there we know that he, early in that book, he writes letters specifically to seven different churches. Well, if you notice in Revelation chapter 3, he's writing his message to the church at Sardis. And it's amazing that in that church, that many of the things that are covered right there, the things that he was writing to the Corinthian church about here, or that Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians. Notice he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. I know your work, I know what you're doing, and a lot of people think that you're living, but in actual fact, you're dead. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. This is John writing to Sardis. Isn't that exactly what Paul just got through saying to Corinth? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You see, this was a church that had lost their anchor. There were a few individuals, he said, there's, there's some of you that haven't, and you're going to be rewarded for that, but as a whole, you haven't stood fast on those things that you knew, stood fast on those truths that you had. You see, to be an effective Christian, you got to understand. I'm not trying to tell you how that you can get God on your side, that you can get God to somehow love you better, that you can be more of a Christian. 
I want to say to you and remind you here this morning, each and every one of you, if I had time, I'd come look each and every one of you in the eye and ask you point blank, do you know without a shadow of a doubt beyond anything else in this world that you're saved and that you're on your way to heaven? You got to know that. Don't play around with it. Don't mess with it. You must know that above all else. Once you know that, once you've truly been saved, religion won't do it. All the best intentions won't do it. All the turning over the new lease won't do it, but Jesus will do it for you. And once you're in Jesus, you're going to heaven. And the truth is, you can't be a little bit saved. You're saved or you're lost. You can't be partially born again. You're either alive or you're dead. You're born or you're not. I'm not trying to tell you you've got to do all these things in order to be a Christian. No, I'm telling you that you can live another year. If you're a Christian, you're going to still be a Christian, and one day you're going to join the Lord in heaven. But I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. Do you want to just be a Christian that's going to heaven? Or do you want to be an effective Christian? Paul has spent a lot of time teaching them an awful lot of things about a whole lot of stuff. But in the end, when he sums it up, what are they going to do with all this teaching, with all this knowledge, with all this stuff that they've gotten right in the church? Now, what are they going to do with it? He wants them to be effective. Be alert. Watch. Be anchored. Stand fast. Stand fast in the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. Stand fast. In God's truth, that's what will anchor you. Jesus Christ and the Word of God. There's three more directives there that, you know, I'm going to offer them to you this evening, not to make you a better Christian, but I can promise you as sure as I'm standing here because God's Word says it, not me, that if you'll take these things and if you'll apply them, these are imperatives. These are things that must be done. These are things that cannot be left undone. They're things that will help you be more than just a Christian on their way to heaven, but to be an effective Christian that God can use that will not just get you to heaven, but that through you will get some others to heaven as well. Father, we thank you today. Lord, I thank you that Lord, as we heard last week, that well, there's plenty of things to get us down and plenty of things to, to focus on that's wrong and plenty of things to get discouraged, but we can be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we just think right, get our minds right. Lord, also we see here today that, Lord, if we're a Christian, we're a Christian. We're not talking about being a better Christian or worse Christian. We're talking about being an effective Christian. Being effective, being part of a Christianity that's not just some name, but that's effective in all that it's meant to be. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand that you've given us these imperatives, one that we need to be alert. We need to be alert, yes, to the coming of the Lord, 
Yes, to the carnality of the world and the flesh, the dangers that are there, the cunningness of the devil and all that he's going to try to do. We need to be alert if we're going to be effective. The Lord, all the watching in the world, if we're not anchored, we're not anchored in the faith, in the Christian faith, the truth that you've given us, beginning with the gospel, but carrying right throughout the Word of God. Lord, we need, we need to be steadfast. We need to be anchored down. We need to be firmly staked in the things that make up our Christian faith. Help us, Lord. Lord, we pray that we bring those back that you would this evening as we look at some other imperatives here, Lord, that will help us in this coming year before us not just to be a Christian on our way to heaven, but to be an effective Christian, to be used in your hand. We give you the praise and thanks for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.